Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Uh, Our opening text, we're going to John chapter 1. Reading a couple verses as we start today. Today we're going to talk about source over substance. We're going to examine fear and peace this morning. Fear and peace. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So that's our starting point and our foundation this morning for examining fear and peace. God, thank you for the opportunity today to be in your house, to hear your word. I pray you would anoint it. I pray you, oh God, would let it to be living, let it to be alive, not just dead words falling on deaf ears, but God, let it to be alive and moving and breathing and changing lives and hearts and speaking life into circumstances this morning. God, all glory and all honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Today, as we begin, we are going to start in a uh, maybe a peculiar place. We're going to start in mathematical proofs. Now, if you have no idea what I just said, it's okay. We're going to walk through this. It's going to be super easy. So I started as a math, uh, math education major in college because I loved math. I still like math, but I met calculus too and found that I liked it a little less than I thought I liked it. But I'm still, I'm still very, you can ask my wife, I'm very like, I calculate everything. Like, we'll be driving down the road, and I'll see the mile marker, and I'm like, oh, well, based on our current speed, 2.7 hours. That's when we'll be, like, I don't know why. I just calculate everything. So today, when we talk about proofs, proofs are so easy. And one of the big things you do in proofs is you prove or you disprove a statement. So you get a mathematical statement. This equals this. And you take all the facts that it shows. It gives you a picture with lots of information. You take all the pertinent information and you either stack it to prove or stack it to disprove what is being said. All right? So you proof it. You proof read it, if you will, if you're a reader or a writer. You're going to prove it that it was good, that it is factual, or if it's false, you're going to stack all the evidence right up against it. One of the biggest things you can use when you have proofs are what's called the transitive property, which is a really cool thing. So... There's a lot of different ways you can use this, lots and lots and lots of different ways. The easiest way, the most, simp- like the most foundational way that you use it is as follows. If you say that A equals B, and I tell you that A equals 2, what does B equal? 2, exactly. Super easy. You can do it backwards, forwards, sideways, all around. It always works. If you know A equals B, you know what A or B equals, 
you have the other one. It's super, super simple, right? You just stack them together. Doesn't matter. As long as you do it correctly, it'll always work. Now, what we see here is we can do this a lot biblically too. As long as you do it in context, you can take scriptures, you can take these factual perfect statements that God has made, the promises that he's given, the things that he says in his word, you can take them and stack them. And if A plus B, well, let me, let's walk through it a little carefully here. I don't want to get out of this. This is, this is a little more technical. So if you want to say this and you want to say, I believe God's word is true, right? Do you believe that? That was a really lackluster, I believe God's word is true. Do you believe God's word is true? All right, there we are. We're all awake. There we go. So I believe God's word is true. That is our A, right? So we can say our B is, I am more than a conqueror. Would you believe in that statement? Are you more than a conqueror? Come on, conquerors. Are you more than conquerors? Good, good. So I believe God's word to be true. His word says I'm more than a conqueror. So what, is, what are we figuring out here? I'm more than a conqueror. That's fact, Jack. I don't, care what's said. I don't care what's said. I don't care what I feel. I don't care about anything. I know God's word is true. It is real. His word says I'm a conqueror. So by golly, I'm a conqueror. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what the odds say against me. It doesn't matter what anything, anyone, any circumstance, anything at all. It doesn't matter. When I know, A, God's word is true. B, he says I'm a conqueror. I'm a conqueror. Nothing else matters. I am a victor. I'm not a victim. I will not be trodden over. I will not give up in this circumstance, in this situation. Y'all there? I'm, I'm a conqueror. You are a conqueror. And these are like, I know, you're like, man, duh, we learned that in Sunday school. But these are things you can take. You can take each and every, in context, promise that God gives you. And you can say, I believe his word's true. I'm a child of God. And the word says, God didn't give me fear. So what then? I don't have fear. Now, I'm not trying to get into this whole name it, claim it, as Pastor talks about. I ain't getting into that. But what I am getting at is you can say confidently, fear is trying to invite itself into my heart. And I said no, because it ain't from God. And if it ain't from God, I don't want it. Now, I got to get back. I'm, I'm skipping way ahead. And you don't want that. You don't want me to cut this short. This is, this is exciting. We only got one service today. We want to be here. We want to enjoy. I'm just playing. Now, there are countless examples that you can do this with, and this stuff I do all the time because I'm very, like, I boil stuff down simply. I look at something complex. I try to pull it down to its just smallest function so I have less propensity to mess it up, right? I don't want things to spin around and get me confused. So as we're building our proof here, right, we're building this proof. We know from our opening text what? Without him, nothing that is made was made. That's it. Everything that was made was made by him. So that's our A, right? Remember that. We're going to build this a little bit. Bishop Walls in his commentary corroborates this. He says, and I quote, things did not come into existence through some evolutionary process or by accident. Everything that was and now is was due to the act of creation by the authority of God, end quote. So that's our first piece. Everything that was made, everything that is in existence has been here since existence, all right? It's not that God made two or three pieces and said, there we go, there's a good starting point. I'll let evolution take care of the rest. He said, here it is, everything. Now, things may have multiplied, but Genesis 1 tells us that what? 
everything had seed within itself. So if he started the first tree, and in the first tree, that had seed within itself, and the second tree had seed within itself, here we are in 2022, tree from the seeds from the beginning. And you can use that in any manner. All the animals, all the people, Adam and Eve, it wasn't evolution that brought us, it was multiplication. So then, Ecclesiastes 1, we're going to add a new piece to our puzzle here. We already know that everything that is and was is because God made it from the beginning. Ecclesiastes 1, I'm going to read this in the amplified version. That which has been will be again, and that which has been done will be done again. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything which can be said, see this, this is new. It has already existed for the vast ages of time recorded or unrecorded, which was before us. Okay, now everything is from the beginning. And at the, at the danger of beating this poor dead horse to dead again, I promise this is important. This foundation has to be laid perfectly. So now, we have our two pieces that we can infer from, right? We have, we know Everything that was brought into being was brought into being by God. That's A. B, everything that exists now has existed since creation, right? So God made everything. Everything that was made, and then we can say our piece number two, everything has been here since the beginning. Nothing is new, all right? So today... I've said all that to say this. Today we talk about fear and peace. So with that, fear and peace have been here since the beginning. Since God created them. We can say that confidently. God created them. Right? Fear and peace were created, among everything else, was created by God. Now the reason I do this is because I want this to sink in. Peace is an easy one, right? We look at that and we're like, of course, God made peace. That's an easy one. But fear, that's a little harder pill to swallow, isn't it? Because we look at fear and we think, God did that? God made that. At least I did. Maybe you're, I mean, you're obviously a lot more faithful and saved than I am. I'm a mess. Anyway, I looked at that and I was like, he made it. I mean, of course, I knew that. But when you look at it so directly and you proof it, right? It's like, he made it. God made it. So then, then you start to dig. And we use our proofs again. And we know it was from the beginning. We know God created. So we see then this fear that is wreaking havoc on minds and hearts all everywhere. And we think... God did that? Did God do that? I know we're asking some weird questions this morning, but did God do that? Did he, is he, is God the author of that? Is he the author of people that are struggling in mind with fear, with anxiety, with care? Is he the author of that? And the answer is no, he is not the author of that. So then you're thinking, well, how in the world does that check out, Mr. Mathematics? We're gonna do it. We often credit Satan for creating fear. We think, well, obviously we see the fruits of it. Satan made it. Satan did all this, and I don't know how it all works, but he did it, and boy, he's a mean, mad guy. 
We think because it has such a negative connotation, it obviously came straight from the pit, right? It came straight from Satan's hands. But it couldn't be further from the truth. God created fear. And again, I know this poor dead horse is just really getting kicked down right here time and time again. But I want to infer that because we think this so often, we think that, that if anything fear-wise happens, well, it's obviously Satan. It's obviously this. It's obviously that. Fear has a few layers. We view it so cut, dry, black, white, but fear has layers. And that's what we're going to look at here. We look at it first from Merriam-Webster's. This is their second definition for the word fear. And if you're wondering where the first one's at, we're going to find it here in a minute. It is a profound reverence and awe towards God. It is to regard something as worthy of very high honor. So that's where we see that. That's where, and where, where's the place we see that applied? In Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. So God created fear. This is fear in its purest form. Fear that is reverent. Fear that is in awe. Fear that is just captivated. I just can't take my eyes off of God. I just cannot figure out this thing. It's so reverent. It's so perfect. It's so holy. You are just in awe of this. That is the fear. Now, John 14 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So that's where we see this, like we see in Proverbs 3. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So obviously, if your eyes are fixed, if your heart is fixed, if everything is fixed on God, on things that are pure, there'll be nothing else to distract you. There'll be things like fear, in, in a secular sense, we're getting there in a minute, that will try to invite itself into your heart to divide you. But if your eyes are fixed, if you are fearful of God in the way that God is so fantastic. He's amazing. I am just captivated by him. Nothing else will be able to get into your heart. So we have this nature of fear towards God. We seek to please him. At least I do. I'm a habitual people pleaser. So maybe it's just in my nature, but I'm going to step out on a limb and say, you feel the same way. You, you look at this. I do. I look at this and I look at these and this is something you should not do. So don't do this, but I'm saying this is what I do. Don't be like me. But I look, at these, I look at these moments in my life where God picked me up. When I stepped in a lot of holes I shouldn't have stepped in, and God picked me up, and I'm like, God, I could never repay you. Then I try to. <sighs> what a mess. I'm don't do this. Don't do it. But that's, the, that's the, the principle of what we see here in fear. This fear of God is like, God, you have done so much for me. So it's all yours. You have saved me. You have raised me. You have given me everything. You take whatever you want. Don't run, run it in the measure of, well, if I give God this, this is a good gift. This is, this is a good lesson I'm gonna give to God, so this brings us back to Eve. This brings us closer to even. But it's rather a complete submission where it's like, God, I could never repay, so here's everything. There is no way I could ever imagine everything, God, that you have done for me, so here, this is all I got. This is all I can give you, Lord, is all of me. 
So now we're going to look at this in a little, perhaps a different perspective than you have looked at it before. And I'll say this on the outset. This is conjecture. This is my conjecture. It's based on good evidence, and I think you'll agree with me, but it's conjecture nonetheless. Genesis 2. Could it be fear that kept Adam and Eve? was Was it fear of God that kept Adam and Eve in the garden? Right? Hear me out here. Genesis 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him where? In the garden. He put him in the garden, and he said, dress it and keep it. Now, next chapter, Genesis 3. Therefore, the Lord God sent forth from the garden. So Genesis 2, he put him in the garden. Genesis 3, he sent him out of the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Verse 24, so he drove out the man. He drove him outside of the garden. So the first verse tells us that God put them in the garden to dress it, to keep it, but he never told them they couldn't leave. Right? He never said, you stay here, don't ever step foot outside. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. He just said, here you are, here's the garden, keep it, dress it. Now, the obvious conclusion is like, well, why would they leave, you moron? Why would they leave? I don't know. They probably wouldn't ever have left. But what I'm bringing here, they had everything they could ever imagine, and then some. And it was all given to them by God. He created them. He gave them everything. So all, But all he wanted in return was to commune with them. He's like, here's everything. Keep the garden. Keep it, dress it, make it look nice, make sure you take care of it. And the only thing he wanted in return was, I'm gonna be here in the cool of the day and I wanna walk with you. I wanna talk with you. And can you imagine that fear? That, I mean, Adam woke up to God forming him and giving him commandments. And then all of a sudden, Adam's like, man, he gave me everything. And all he wants is just to walk with me. All he wants is to talk with me. All he wants is to be close to me. He has this fear, this reverence. He's just captivated. He can't wrap his head around because it doesn't make sense. He's fearful. One could say he probably was thinking, well, if I go outside the garden, I fear what might happen if I miss him. Like, what happens if I go outside the garden and I miss him? I don't make it back in time. I don't get to speak. What happens at that point? I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to let him down. So in the garden, the only fear that they experienced was this this captivating amazement of God. They had nothing to fear. They had nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be worried about until God sent them out of the garden. And this is where man became acquainted with the other layer of fear. And remember, this is still fear that God created. There's no version of the story where Satan made anything but lies. So Merriam-Webster's primary definition, I know you've been sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for this. The primary definition says fear is an unpleasant, strong emotion that is caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. So what God created in fear, this, this another layer of fear, if you will, is so that you can recognize danger. Because what happened if you couldn't? 
What happened if you could not, in your brain, figure out if something was dangerous or it was welcoming? If it was going to help you or if it was going to hurt you, right? If he sent them out of the garden without that tool, it would have been chaos. They would not have been able to reason what, and at that point, the nature had turned. So they would not have been able to realize what animals would hurt them, what animals would help them. There, there was no amount of, uh, of danger, no amount of making decisions if they don't have that. So what God gave to them was a boundary. He gave them fear to act as a boundary to keep things that were dangerous away from them and to keep things that were not dangerous close to them. He gave it as a boundary, but the devil has twisted it and turned it and made it to where it is a binding to you. It's no longer a fence. It's now a ball of wires that has you bound up and tight and scared and fearful and worried. And I'm not picking fun of it. I'm saying this is a lie from the devil. It is not something he has created. It is something he has distorted. It is something he has twisted and turned and just given you these sweet little lines about how nice it'll be when you walk away, how great it'll be when you come out of that just real, you know, obsessive fence that God has placed. There's such better things outside the garden. There's better things for you outside of where God wants you to be. But stay in the garden. The devil has made it and twisted it up to be a prison rather than a protection. Mark Twain said that courage is the resistance of fear. It is the mastery of fear, not the absence of fear. So walking with God is about living with fear. It is about moving forward in spite of the dangers that you may calculate in your flesh, in spite of the things that you may perceive. Well, well, the Bible says that I should die daily. Immediately, your flesh pops up and says, no, 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 that's a bad idea, man. We, don't need, we need to preserve ourselves. We need to keep all that stuff hidden. We don't need to talk to them about that. We don't need to tell somebody about all this stuff. We, we got to keep that between us. We got to, mm-mm, that's dangerous. But your spirit is saying, mm-mm, give it, submit it. That's the true protection. Without fear, there is no courage. Think about that. Courage is the ability to overcome fear. So if you had no fear, there would be no courage. Without fear, there'd be no battles. Without battles, we have no victories. How awful would that be? Without danger, there's no courage. There's no victory. There's no triumph. There's none of that if we don't have fear. And that's a dangerous place to be. Theodore Roosevelt has a fantastic quote. It's called The Man in the Arena. Uh, I'm not going to read it all today. It's a long quote. It's a fantastic quote. You should look it up. But I'm going to read just the latter portion of it. He says, A man who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows that in the end, the triumph of good achievement. And at the worst, if he fails, he fails while daring greatly. So that his place, this is, the, this is the key here, his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. No victory nor defeat. They may not know battles. They may not know struggles and 
pains and anguish as you feel perhaps today. But you know what they also don't feel? It's triumph. They don't live in victory. They live in minutia. They don't live in exciting battles to be won. They live in, well, just as easy as I can coast through this life without fear, without calamity, the better. Fear is a vital part of our life. God has given us fear as a boundary. Boundaries are blessings. Often it's hard to look at them now. It's, hard, it's easy to look at boundaries in your life and say, man, I just really wish I could see what's on the other side. The grass is greener just, just across where God says, I can't go. Just on these silly little rules and stipulations and King James-isms that you guys place out. There's just, just beyond that, there's something great. There's something I can really feel it, you know? But boundaries are blessings because we don't know what's outside there. We don't know the fruits that lay outside there for us. But God does. And he tells you, stay in the boundaries. Stay in the boundaries. That's why he plants things in our life that convict us, right? And what is conviction? Conviction is God using fear, right? Because what? If I have a conviction, it tells me what? I know where that road leads and I don't like it. I mean, we don't say it like this, but it could be appropriately termed, I fear where that road would lead me, right? We look at things in our family and we're like, I ain't bringing that in my home. Why? because I don't want the fruits of that brought in my home. So you could more appropriately say, I fear what the consequences of that will bring to my home. I fear what repercussions those seeds will grow into. I fear what may happen. So don't shove off fear. Don't just treat it as this, this thing that, that only the, the devil deals with, but it is God trying to route you, trying to help you, trying to just navigate you through this life. A wise man once said, make yourself accountable or the consequences of your actions will make you accountable. God has given us fear to navigate us, to protect us, to show us. He's given it to us as a tool to live closer to him and not as the devil uses it, as a wedge to drive us further from him. So now we're going to talk about peace. Peace also comes with a layered approach. First, let's look at the secular approach. We're reading again from Merriam-Webster. Peace is defined as freedom from disturbance and tranquility. It's a state or period in which there is no war or war has ended. Peace. Doesn't that sound nice? Peace. Nothing bugging you, nobody talking to you, nobody trying to get your attention, no situation that needs done. There ain't no dishes that need washed. There's no clothes that need washed or folded or put away or the, the list of things that you have in your life that continue to pile. There's no homework that needs done. There's no body that needs called. There's no this, there's no that. There's all this stuff that piles up and crams your mind. There's none of that. It's just peace. It's just calm. It's just, that's nice, isn't it? It feels nice. You mean, you sit here and your eyelids are getting heavy and you're like, yeah, that peace. That's good. <laughs> that's real good. Amen. Yes. So that peace is really nice. But I, I mean, I'm sorry and you're welcome to burst your bubble. It ain't gonna happen very often. 
Those little pockets of time will be just that, small pockets of time. There'll be pockets of time that everything's peaceful, everything's nice. Now, secularly, as I talked about, we, we have this aim at manufacturing peace, right? What do we do? We try to escape. We try to escape these things that are going on through hobbies, through entertainment, through all sorts of different things. We escape it, right? It's not that we make the situation better. We just remove ourselves from the situation, and we say, that's peace. But then as soon as you step back in the situation, what do you have? Like, not peace. You have a situation that's further behind. So you have manufactured a few moments of peace. Good job. But now you're coming back to more calamity. So among one of the, the, the mainstream things that we see in culture, and I am not preaching against this. You take with it what you will. But one of the mainstream, mainstream things we see in this manufacturing peace movement is yoga, right? You see it everywhere. Yoga is something that we see to calm the mind, to calm the spirit. And I'm going to read from a couple sources here, uh, quoting, yoga as a peace practice, it teaches ancient contemplative practices of yoga to help individuals and communities that have been impacted by violence improve their well-being and move towards self-love and wholeness. End quote. So we're trying, if we're reading there and putting ourselves in that lump, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's saying we're trying to manufacture wholeness. We're trying to create ourselves whole. We're trying to heal wounds that we have encountered and make ourselves whole. Reading again from another source, traditionally the purpose of yoga is to show us the way back to the truth that we know deep within our hearts. Now, if you got red flags flying up like a red flag factory, that's great. It's a really, again, I'm not preaching against it. I'm just hoping you're seeing red flags because there's a lot of them. It's to show us our way back home to the truth that we know deep within our hearts. It's a peace and a truth that is free from attachment to outside elements and our mind's attraction or aversion to them, end quote. So if we want to sum this up, their idea of manufacturing peace through this practice is they're trying to manufacture wholeness. They're trying to create their own peace, right? Their own wholeness, their own truth, their own identity, their own, what do you think they're trying? They're trying to create themselves, right? They're trying to redefine themselves. If I, re, if I define myself, I don't have to answer to God. If I can make my own peace, I don't need God for that. If I can make my own wholeness, I don't need him for that. I don't need his silly rules and boundaries if I can do it all myself, right? And you see that in our society a whole lot. We're trying to make, our, we're trying to make the calls ourselves between life and death. We're trying to make our calls ourselves between peace, between what is moral and what is not moral. We're trying to manufacture this peace. But Isaiah 26 disagrees. Thou will keep him, speaking of God, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Now focus here. He says, I will keep him in perfect peace. I will keep him there. So if you are submitted, if you are holding to the source, right? Not the substance of peace, not the things you can manufacture in small fragments of time, but if you focus on the source, God says, I'll keep you there. God says, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. If you focus on me, I will keep you there. 
You don't have to worry about whatever happens and can shatter or shatter your, your fragile sense of peace. If you focus on me, the source, I will make sure you stay there. I will keep you there. Now, peace there, keep him in perfect peace. Peace, if we look at the original definition, has kind of a long definition, but I wanna read it all because it's really, really cool. Now, the first definition we get from that word, the translation is one, just the number one. So peace in that sense is one. Hold on to that. It is quietness, it is peace, it is rest. The extended definition shows us what that means. To join together or to tie together into a whole, into one whole. It is, as it says, when all essential parts are joined together and is God's gift of wholeness. So God's gift of peace is not something that looks peaceful. God's gift of peace is wholeness. God's gift of peace is knowing who you are. God's gift of peace is knowing no matter what happens in this life, all the necessary parts are tied together and you are whole. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. But remember our proofs. God's word's true. And he says he'll keep me in perfect peace. Then he will keep me in perfect peace. Even in this storm where it feels like the boat sure is rocking, I am whole. I'm complete. I know who I am. The identity crisis in our culture is so, so out of whack because we're looking to ourselves for our identity. When all the while, God is the source. We look for substances of identity, right? And I'm, I'm preaching to my own choir right now. I look, I want to belong. I want affirmation. We want that identity, right? We want, we want to be seen. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to know that you see what's going on. I want to have these substances of identity, Right? But all the while, when something happens, it shatters it because I'm not connected to the source of identity. I'm not connected to God's identity he has for me. The real gift of peace we see in Philippians 4. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Beyond my understanding. Has anybody else ever been there? I can think of a couple moments when I've been there. When I have been peaceful. When I didn't understand it. I was looking out at all these, like, all these variables floating around. All this stuff going on. I was looking at all of it and I was like, but I'm peaceful. This doesn't make sense to me. And that's God's gift. God's gift comes in because nothing's out of place, Right? Circumstances don't move you out of your identity. God has put it all together. And if God says you're one, if God says you're one whole, then it doesn't matter. If I am one whole in God's eyes, if he's put all of my pieces together, as ugly as they may be, if he's took all my pieces and put them together and said, yep, that's complete. There ain't nothing this world or the devil can throw at you that changes that. Right? Only if you let it, only if you let it in. But if you say, no, nah, I'm good, I'm good. Out of fear, nope, I'm good. I don't want that. I don't take it. I was on a prayer walk the other night and uh, hang on, we'll get there in a minute, I promise. So 
Christian speaker and writer Ron Huthcraft, and I think we heard this story recently. We're going to read just a snippet of it once more. Uh, it was an art contest that was held to find the perfect picture of peace. And the challenge stirred uh, the imagination of artists everywhere. And paintings arrived far and wide from all over the world. When finally the great day came when they would reveal the finished winner. And the field had been narrowed to two. There were two paintings that were revealed to be the, the front runners for the perfect picture of peace. As the judge pulled the cover over the first one, a hush fell on the crowd because it was as it describes a mirror smooth lake that reflected lacy green birch branches under the soft blush of the evening sky along the grassy shore, a flock of sheep grazed undisturbed. That sounds nice, doesn't it? I would love to read a book there. That'd be sweet. It's just calm, peaceful, like, the, like those moments we talked about earlier in our lives. It'll be small pockets of time that's ah, so peaceful. This is nice. It's calm. It's, it's serene. This is really nice. And they thought for sure that was the winner. It was so beautiful. It was just captured the epitome of peace. But then the second painting was uncovered and the crowd actually gasped in surprise. And you go ahead and put that picture up, please. It is a tumultuous waterfall that's cascading down a rocky precipice. The crowd can almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. The storm clouds that surrounded exploded with lightning, with wind and rain in the midst of thundering noises and a bitter chill. But if you look really closely, you'll notice that in the cleft of the rock, if only I was a little taller, right about here, you'll notice a little bird, right? That little bird just nestled right in the cleft of that rock. And the bird has built a nest there. It's content, undisturbed in the stormy surroundings. She's resting in her nest on her eggs, ready to cover with her wings, her little ones. She manifests, we're still reading here, she manifests peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. That's true peace. Does it look like peace? No, it sure doesn't. It looks chaotic. It looks like the, like, perfectly like the, like the excerpt read. It looks chilly. It looks stormy. It looks windy. It looks like a bitter chill in the air. The, 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 the cavernous rock, the, the jack, like it all, everything about that picture looks a little frightening, right? It looks a little scary. Like that's not exact. I'd take the mirror like with the fir branches. And all that. Yeah, I'll take that one. Yeah, but this one, despite everything that's going on, that little bird just rests in knowing this storm's gonna pass. This storm may feel violent. It may feel like this is gonna be the one, but it will pass because he'll keep you in perfect peace when, you're, when your mind is stayed on him, when you're just nestled into God's presence, when you're covered in the source of peace, the substance of peace looks a whole lot different because there's gonna be times in your life when things don't look right. There's gonna be things in your life when you're like, God, I have asked you for peace and this is what you gave me. But there's peace there as long as God is there because the source transcends the substance. The source of peace, it far outweighs the substance. Can you stand with me? 
as a Christian, you have taken up the personal fight against your will and against your soul. You will fight that until God comes back. There will be a fight. There will be this internal struggle of your will and of God's will. There will be this struggle between what you really would like to do, between that mirror lake that you'd like to go chill by and read a book with your perfect little family, and between that, that jagged rock storm. There will be always this effort, this this thing of, God, why are you doing this? Why do you have me here? Why am I going through this? But this peace, the source of peace will keep you through all that chaos. There will hardly ever be peace times in your spirit. Now, there will be times. I'm not telling you there won't be. I'm not telling you completely gloom and doom. But I will tell you, keep fighting. Don't give up. In the face of fear, in the face of, uh, of disruption, in the face of calamity, don't give up. Reading again the definition of peace, the latter part, it's to join together, to tie together into completeness. When I'm close to the substance, I'm complete. I'm whole. So nothing in this world will shake me. Nothing in this world will pull me apart. When fear comes knocking at my door and the devil tries to tell me lots of things that I know are not factual, I will run to the word and say, God's word is true. God's word says he gives every good and precious gift. And the spirit of fear, that's not a good and precious gift. So I don't want it. I'm good. It's going to continually try to invite itself into your heart. No vacancy. We don't want it. So today, I wonder if you can, if you've been struggling with fear, if you've been struggling with manufacturing, like trying to keep all the pieces together, like in a boat, the proverbial boat that has all the holes in it. And you just, you fix one hole, another one comes up. You fix one thing in your life that's causing you grief. You get joy and then all of a sudden something else pops up. I want you to just find a spot to pray. If you want to come to the front, that's fine. If you want to stay where you are, if you want to kneel where you are, that's fine. But I just want you to find a spot to pray. And I want you just to pray that, about that God would show me the source of peace, not the substance. That God would show me the source of fear, that it is meant to help me. It is meant to protect me. It is meant to keep me in perfect peace. So God, right now, all throughout this place, Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.